This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Misa. And we're going to talk about The Goblin Reservation, a 1968 novel by Clifford D.C. Mack. And uh, I'd heard a lot about this book. And uh, then I I didn't realize what I was getting. <laughs> um, I don't think I enjoyed this book as much as you guys did. Oh, oh. I loved it. Yeah, I had a feeling uh, Misa would love it. After I thought about it for about half a second, I'm lo- Misa's going to love this book. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, how did you like it? Well, I, I had recently reread Simax City not too long ago, so I was primed for more Simax. So I'm used to his style and his and his outlook. So I was primed to like this book, and so I did. I it's like it's like why haven't I read this book sooner? It's like is this representative sort of, of of him? Is this what he's like? Yes, there's pastoral themes. There's not a lot of heavy conflict. There's it, what, characters with lots of conversations talking about things. Mm-hmm. Lightness. Uh, there's what's that? Lightness. Uh, lightness. 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 Yes. Um, philosophy. There's. Wisconsin. Don't forget Wisconsin. 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 Yeah. Wisconsin. Yep. I mean, for for a while, I mean, he worked at a newspaper in Minneapolis. So yeah. So it 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 ties in a lots of the stuff. It's a little more Gonzo than some of his stuff because he just throws in okay time travel, space travel, Neanderthals, aliens from previous universes. Right. It's a little more Gonzo Mm -hmm. than what he normally does, but it's still. Very simacky. It's a very pastoral Gonzo, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we, we you don't have to. We don't have to get too excited about the Gonzo ness. I mean, I mean, in the hands of another writer, this could have been a long, cha- extended chase scene. But yeah, in in the hands of Simak, yeah, he's not interested in long, extended chase scenes. It's a and, slow and, amble chase scene. <laughs> it's a it's, it's a slow amble chase scene. Yeah, stop and have some more beer and. That's old. right. Lots of beer. Lots of beer. More steaks for the saber saber tooth. And, <laughs> um, so I guess I guess my problem with it is that uh, I I'm, I just normally deal with sort of heavy stuff, and I I was trying to find anyone who agreed with me. You know that this book just there's not enough there, and and one of the guys I think on Goodreads pointed, I think it was a dude, uh, pointed out. Uh, I guess what my problem with with it was is you'd think with a title like Goblin Reservation and most, you know, science fiction books or fantasy books or something like that, that it would it would be either a satire or at least would when, when dealing with a, a bunch of heavy themes, it would be kind of serious. Mm-hmm. But there's like nothing underneath the surface on this. And that, and that I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying that as a fact, like. There's no buried subtext. It's all in that, you know, the scenes. There's there's a mystery there. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to rush to get to that. And, you know, uh, the like when the ending came, I thought, what? The book's over. 
The book's over. Because <laughs> I wasn't watching the timer on the, on the audio. Like just suddenly, the book was over. And I was like, that's it? I was like, this, is, this isn't a novel. Um, I, I've read Waystation. I've read a lot of other CMAX stuff. But I think I've been so geared to, you know, doing, I don't know, a lot of subtext. Then I just like, this is so fluffy. It's, I was saying, it's not like candy. Because... Candy, you know, it, it, it's it, it's more substantive than candy, but it's still more like uh, swimming through clouds than it is, uh, you know, wading through a serious subject. I think that was sort of the point, wasn't it? I think so. Yes, Be, because yeah. because doesn't like the goblins say, "What is the matter with all of you? Why why don't you know just sit back and play for a little while?" I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. and it, I did eventually get. Uh, to that headspace um, in re-listening to it, but uh, man, I I was I was like, well, why is my m- mind trying to make connections that are not? There's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing to connect. I mean, what little happens with the plot, right, is almost unimportant. And I've argued I argued this with a few people that you know, uh, Waystation has no conflict. This one has almost as much conflict as Waystation, which is to say. Almost none, right? I kept thinking that the the wheelers were a lot more substantive than they were. Um, (laughs) Look at the the (laughs) illustrations from uh, the magazine publication. Um, They're even comedy figures, even though they're almost the Lovecraftian monsters of this world, right? yeah, that they're, they're intru- basically in some sense intruding on this universe. But yeah, they're they're not. I mean, there's no real sense of men. I mean, that one scene in the house is the real only sense of menace we really, really, really get from the Wheelers. Otherwise, yeah, they're just. It's um, it kind of reminds kind of reminds me of of um, I mean this this novel well, was up for the Hugo in 1969. Now up 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 against it was Ari Lafferty, Samuel Delaney, Alexi Panchin, and John Bruner. Bruner won for Stand on Zanzibar, which yeah, is very much substantive and full of text. So this is almost like the the lightweight fun entry into the Hugos for that year. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm I mean, we don't have those records. I really am curious. Who got second place after Stands on Zanzibar? Because Stands on Zanzibar, Stand on Zanzibar is brilliant. It's not something we could ever do for SSF audio because I can't imagine that any audio book of it would be good. You're, you're making a challenge now. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but have you read Stand no, on I Zanzibar? No, I haven't. It's one of the oh, okay. classics that I have avoided somehow. How about you, Maya? Oh, no, no, I have not. It's it's uh, if you uh, if you open up and look at it. And, and even ebooks would be bad. It's it's very much a novel that likes to. It's kind of like the Demolished Man, mm-hmm. except twenty times worse as far as playing with text and arranging and using text as a form and as a method of delivery. There's all sorts of different. I mean, there's advertisements, there's newspaper clippings, there's all sorts of things in Sands on Zanzibar that that inform and. Uh, inform and enrich the text and you can't really com- put those into an audiobook and make it anything like a, the actual physical book. I mean, Sense of Zavar is heavy and plays with some really interesting stuff whereas this is the complete opposite. We have some interesting stuff but no, we're just going we're just going to breezily walk through this university campus even though we have a mystery like 
why was I duplicated? Why is that duplicate dead? And yeah, what? that's and what can, I, can I sell this stuff? I was spinning my wheels on that. I was thinking, okay, this uh, that other novel I read by C Mac when I was like, you know, twelve or whatever, has got to be uh, a sequel or the parallel the other guy who goes to that. And no, that's not right. <laughs> it's it's so weird because this this story has. The, the the universe, the setup for it, has a lot more going on than actually shows up in, in actual walking around. You know? Like, the backstory. That, yeah, there's back- time travel in yeah. it, and there's no time travel in the novel. Right. <laughs> time travel is just a thing that they do, but no one actually time travels. Right. It, well, I mean, if, if uh, Connie Willis had written this, um, we would have spent a lot... Well, it's kind of it's like a Connie Willis novel, except it's not long. But <laughs> oh wow yeah that was a slam there but that um, was a slam but uh you know it's the same thing university time travel department you know they they have problems um there's a lot less repetition than uh, uh connie willis book but uh yeah i like spending time once i got used to the the relaxed pace um uh on the goblin reservation hanging out at the pub uh going to the restaurant uh, i guess they're the same thing um and then, you know, going to visit the trolls under the bridge. Yeah. We're going to blow up your bridge if you don't help us. No, said the trolls. <laughs> forever. Like, you've been doing that forever. You think back, like, millions and millions of years. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the revelation, the slow re- revelation that the book uh, is actually science fiction, uh, even though it's full of fantasy, I think it is, right? They're, they're aliens. They colonized the Earth a long time ago. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. All, their, all their magic is really advanced. It's it's Clark's third wall. Mm. I thought that was brilliant. Like, okay, that all makes sense now. I like mm. that. Because I can't think of anything even remotely – that engine remotely fantastic that Simek did. It's all science fiction. Mm-hmm. So I was like – our stone off was like, wait a minute, trolls? Magic – well, that, I mean, that's so exciting. That means that the previous universe before ours was full of magic. Mm. It was full of magic mm-hmm. and fun and trolls and like, and then and then later and dragons and dragons and dragons, right? And then Maxwell says, "Well, I guess they couldn't preserve it because we have to make way for for evolution." So they tried to preserve it, and they moved. They had this tiny little spot of the old magic on this new planet, but they stuck it on a reservation. Like they didn't put it on a a province or a territory. They put it on a reservation. Yeah. That's so, a heavy heart. It's a very, word. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a very heavy word. Right. And, yeah, and so what I was thinking of was going to be heavy. It's a metaphor. Sorry. Yeah, it's a metaphor. Exactly. But it's it not. is. <laughs> but it's not. No, but it is though. Not metaphor, but it's like, okay, well, we, 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 we have to leave all that behind like our childhood. Now we're growing up and we have to like, you know, it, the troll says, well, or not the troll, the goblin says it was a rotten day when, when humans came on the scene because now we have to, we're, we can't play anymore. Mm. We have to go for logic. We can't even use our magic. Why are you shooting? You can use magic, essentially, he says. Didn't, didn't there, wasn't there a line in there about how uh, when they went back in time, they found no evidence of the dinosaurs? Yeah, I didn't understand what that meant. It's like there's a missing uh, sequel or something that, and, oh, we got to go make all the dinosaurs now. <laughs> he said, I didn't, I didn't see sight of them. 
Didn't yeah, he didn't, yeah. so he didn't put them in the picture because they weren't because they had all been chased away by the aliens. That's why. I but it, it just it didn't happen to be in the scene where uh, he stood he, where he was where he had the where the obelisk. So that's yeah. why he didn't put any dinosaurs in because they all had gotten out of the area. I got oh, the is sense. That what it was? No, I got the sense that they're all going to go back in time and like the saber tooth. They're going to manufacture the dinosaurs. And it's going to be like a big university, you know, project because they're they're in the <laughs> the fossil record. We got to make it happen now. <laughs> well, they're going to just smash up that university then. <laughs> yeah, that that's that sounds that sounds almost like uh, I think I've mentioned this book before on this podcast. That sounds like Michael Moorcock's "Behold the Man." Mm-hmm. Have you have you've read it, great, right, Jesse? Great story. I have not read it. Um, okay, for those listeners who haven't, basically, a guy goes back to uh, to find Jesus, basically, in the time machines. Like, oh, I want to go see Jesus, and we can't find any evidence of him. He basically becomes Jesus mm-hmm. uh-huh. because someone has to be because he can't find. He's him. he's like looking I, around, looking around. He's asking cool. all the. Authorities, all sorts of questions they don't like. And if if you don't shut up about this guy you're looking for, you know, uh, he's like, uh, the, what's that guy with the lamp looking for an honest man? Diogenes. Diogenes, right? If you don't shut, shut up about this guy you're looking for, we're going to nail you to a cross. And he's like, he's got to be around here somewhere. <laughs> he's still up on the cross. They put him up on the cross. He's like looking down. He's like that three uh three thieves behind him like looking down where the hell is jesus he should be here <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a weighty book but that's also gives us that that bit of lightness is like it's not as quite as light as the goblin it's like what the hell I don't man think there's anything lighter i mean i was thinking about <laughs> i was thinking about uh you know what this is comparable to it's it's lighter than uh robert sheckley at his lightest it's it's lighter than uh even like Douglas Adams, um, I, I I think I think maybe some of the some of the stories of Bradbury maybe I can't think of one that's uh, as light. I mean, he he's often doing it with very soft touch as well. Right. But um, with the amount of of heavy, um, I don't know, exposition going on here, it's it's amazing that it feels as light as it is. There's a hell of a lot going on. It's just not. We're just not going to get worked up over it because no. we're Midwestern. We're Midwesterners, and we're just going to carry on. Right. So yeah, I, I I I'm not sure how much there is to say about it. Other well, than, th- I have so light. I've got something. Okay. Does the yep. artifact remind either of you of something else? Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. It's two thousand one the space oh, Odyssey. Right. It's right. the monolith. Yeah. It's the monolith. Uh, and, and pre and the movie. It, it, that's well, I was looking at it and they these both came out in nineteen sixty eight. So like they couldn't have uh into like they couldn't have taken from one couldn't have taken from the other. But but when you Google the monolith, mm-hmm. um it says it showed up it um millions it, it showed up in prehistoric times as well mm-hmm. and it says in wikipedia says the extraterrestrial species that built the monoliths developed intergalactic travel millions or perhaps billions of years before the present time in the novels uh, clark refers to them as the firstborn which is the same thing it is it, it, it's yep. a, amazingly identical but i should point out that uh the stories that clark wrote uh, were well before the movie. So there's one called The Sentinel. I think that might be even like 1949. Oh, see, yeah. my research is so terrible. Well, no, I mean, the, the, the physical object, uh, as seen in the, in, in the movie doesn't show up 
in any of the well that's actually funny because i was going through an old magazine as i usually do this mm-hmm. week i think it was this week or maybe monday and um i actually found a picture of uh the what looks like the monolith um uh, on earth with the moon in the background um and i was like damn <laughs> but it it was also out after uh the original short story the sentinel by clark so this image of uh we don't get the dimensions i don't think and i don't think that the dimensions exactly match that of the monolith in 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm uh, because there's a dragon in it, right? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, it's a little different. There is a dragon in it. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, certainly the the you know the crystal world that the the survivors from the previous universe have, and all of that. Um, I mean, it's so unexplored in the novel. That's why I was thinking that this can't be the end. They haven't gone to the crystal world yet, uh, yeah. right? They yeah, yeah they they got the dragon out. <laughs> Uh, they yeah, the spoiled the plans, but that's not the end of the story, is it? Uh, but no, it's. I was like, "Are you sure? Did I screw up the files on this?" No, because it's lost, though. We don't get to share it. Oh, uh, we do. We're gonna get that knowledge, aren't we? I no. What? No, no. The the deal was we 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 we, we, we trade the artifact for the knowledge, but the artifact is gone. The artifact's now a dragon, and the dragon's going to live on the Goblin Reservation, so we don't get the knowledge. Yeah, but... Uh, but that, the knowledge is going to fade away. But that's the the wheelers aren't going to get it, and we aren't going to get it either. But that's what the visit to the Crystal World was going to be. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're going to go retrieve it. Yeah, suck it up, Earthling. You don't get it. Oh. Uh, it but th- th- that goes into a th- a fantasy theme, now that I'm thinking about mm. it. This whole... Um, Going going into Tolkien uh, of the whole diminishment of the elder races and mm-hmm. the loss of their knowledge mm-hmm. and the the loss of magic from the world. Yeah. So so yeah. So these elder races. I mean, you mentioned before, Maya, so that that, they, that like they had magic in the in the previous universe. I mean, think of that as the earlier ages in Tolkien's. Mm-hmm. Is like okay, this this magic, but now we're diminishing, and now we have to make way for humanity and and. In that in that classical elves getting diminished and becoming smaller and smaller, they've now all, I mean, except for a couple of banshees and the dragon, all is left are some trolls and goblins, where they used to be this great mighty elven race. Mm. Yeah, there's that. So that's kind of that's a, it, and and that too is very simac. The whole, um, have have you've read City, right? Yeah, I have. Have Have you read City, Maya? No. Um. Okay, so for those readers who don't know, um, City is a collection of short stories by Simak, which talks about the future fall of man and the rise of dogs. And there is a very pastoral sadness as man man slips into uh, oblivion. And it's, I don't one, know, it's wonderful. It's it's so it is wonderful, but yeah, it's it's very bittersweet. That's that's also like sadness of what's been lost from the past and the dogs and inherit the earth the dogs are trying to be faithful but there's no man to be faithful to. oh i know <laughs> yes exactly I love it Misa. okay <laughs> it is one of my favorites yeah. so so that sort of sadness about what's been lost from the past is very much here too but in a very much lighter form i mean city is not city is deep philosophically although it's not mm-hmm. action-packed but the, 
This is the much. This is the kinder, light, lighter. They go for a walk. Or, Come on, you, they, you, they go for, they, you gotta admit there's some action in there. They get off their butts and go for a walk. And then they have something to. Oh no, they don't have something to drink. Maybe they go down to the river and have a lick. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what's up with Shakespeare? I mean, uh, I, I was thinking that's got to connect to something, but I think that was just the comedy relief, wasn't it? Uh, comedy relief amidst the comedy relief. Yeah, there was com. It was comic relief, but I mean, it was. I thought it was really fun that he put Shakespeare with a ghost and and Maxwell, who's a a a, a reproduction of himself, and mm. and with a Neanderthal. Like that's exactly the sort of thing. Well, not the Neanderthal, but you know that Shakespeare would have written, and and then to have you know, Shakespeare and the ghost be together and, and Maxwell himself. Like there was a nice little parallels in there. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't notice yep. that, that there were those, those pairings. Um, I do have something to say about Aliyup though. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I, I want to get Shakespeare one. Uh, oh, Shakespeare sure. First. Um, I did find it interesting that, Oh no, Shakespeare didn't really write this place. I, don't like that. No, no, that's idea at all. That's why it has to be only. I, I, I know it's something that's been persistent for hundreds of years, but yeah, I, I think it's bollocks. I it's, think Shakespeare heard his play. It's actually wrong-headed too, because it, it's like, who cares? Read the stories, read the plays, watch the plays. Yeah, it's 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 like focusing on Lovecraft as uh, whether he wrote his stories or whether he was inspired by the old elder gods. No. Just read the the stories by Lovecraft, and you'll you know what you'll see, you'll see a guy who's having fun, right, F- exercising his vital powers through lines of excellence in a life affording them scope. Well, forty forty years or so, right? Uh, but that's what you'll see in the stories. I mean, he makes fun of his own stuff, and Shakespeare, right? He's writing uh, love poems to men and women. He's you know whether he's one guy he's, he's doesn't right- matter. Yeah, he's writing comedies. He's writing tragedies. He's mm-hmm. writing near horror. Yeah, right. Read the Shakespeare. Don't worry about who wrote it. That's just that's just uh, unimportant, I think. But uh, what he does here, I mean, is is light enough. But it it, it, it seemed like a sideshow of the of the regular sideshow. I like the reveal that you know uh, the ghost was Shakespeare's ghost. That was funny, a, a surprise, yeah. right? Um, but, uh, there's an alley-oop thing that you guys are not aware of and I'm not aware of until I found out about it and it Go ahead. makes really interesting sense. Alley-oop is not original to this novel. Alley-oop is, uh, was a syndicated comic strip from 1932, uh, 1932 that was very, very popular in, in newspapers and was about a, Stone Age man transported by time travel to the 20th century. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's like, you know, those BC, remember BC cartoon or newspaper strip, right? Um, He's like, um, if you look at the Wikipedia entry for Alioupe, there's a a strip showing him uh, being transported from the Stone Age uh, through a time travel machine. And then the guy says... Uh-huh. Good heavens, Doc! Look at the time machine it's brought them through. Well, my stars, it must have tripped the materialization switch. Eureka! It works, right? So, 
this is um, this is an illusion that uh, I would think people in 1969 would be much more familiar with. Um, it may have even run um, uh, up to that point or near that point. It's well well documented um, how much. Yeah, there's there's even republications in the 80s, in the 90s. Wow. Isn't that interesting that something completely completely obvious to the people of the time the book was written is now, you know, almost forgotten. I wouldn't have noticed this except for some reviewer uh, made the connection. Because I I just clicked on the link on the TV tour. Yep, yep. There's apparently after a few years, they in the comic strip, they moved. It didn't start off that way, but a few years into the comic strip, they moved them into the 20th century. Mm. Um, so, huh. Um, there's, there's a couple of stories in science fiction where you have cavemen running around, uh, running on the present. Um, El Sprague de Camps wrote, uh, The Gnarly Man, where basically this Neanderthal lives for 50,000 years. Mm-hmm. And he, of course he doesn't want to fight, uh, he doesn't want to give up his, uh, secrets and people keep chasing him. And that reminds me of, uh, Paul Anderson's, um. Um, novel which was named Escape, Escapes Me, where you have a bunch of people living thousands of years through history. Um, but um, Isaac Asimov's The Ugly Little Boy has mm-hmm. the uh, caveman child come forward to the future. Um, that's a that's a tearjerker, Misa. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a very sad one. Um, I there are some cavemen that show up on the river world. Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a Neanderthal there, wasn't there? There's an, there's a Neanderthal there. So yeah, so Cape, and of course, I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, there's some contemporary movies and stuff, you know, like that Brendan Fraser movie, and <laughs> and, and, and that's Saturday Night Live thing. But so the idea of having a caveman, oh yeah, the unfrozen caveman lawyer, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like I'm just a simple caveman. <laughs> I'm just a simple caveman. I got scared with the moon covered beside, but I know my client is innocent. It's <laughs> a pretty it's good like, argument. Uh, it's actually that that's a, a ripoff of that. Uh, the the chicken. Oh, no, no, no. I guess it's the other way around. There's a on Futurama. There's a space chicken. I'm just a simple space chicken from Alpha Centauri. But I know my client is innocent. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I like how the novel. Uh, I mean, I mean, we, we see Aliup as this uh, as this broad comedy guy. But then Maxwell in the side tell, tells uh tells Janet they yeah don't don't buy it yet don't don't buy it he's he's often lying through his teeth and he's much cleverer than he looks so yeah it feels I like can't. we're in the middle of a series you know like there's so much going on if if um if you were to distill the just i guess that's what the wikipedia entry does you just distill the facts down to what's going on in the you know take out take out the actual pastoral scenes and you just look at the facts. It looks like it's a heavy book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how it could be a heavy book with all the revelations about Shakespeare's ghost being frightened or frightening Shakespeare <laughs> to death. <laughs> well, 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 well. If if you if if a ghost showed up and it was your ghost, Jesse, that would freak. Wouldn't that freak you out? Uh, well, I was thinking, I was thinking a few. Like I, I kept my mind at that point. The first read through, I was, I was like, okay, so. Um, he, that means he knows he's going to die, but when is he going to die? He must die in the past. Like I'm doing all these, 
Yeah, I was doing that too. And yeah. that's not what's going on here, right? You're not supposed to be doing that. I think you're really like if you look at the way people love this book, if you read the Goodread reviews, mm-hmm. it is um it's people unashamedly enjoying it. And that's me. <laughs> and that's yeah. I knew you were going to love it because I I know your humor uh, pretty well because I I listened to your show and then that's how we became friends. Um, that's where uh, before the podcast started. Uh, uh, there's it, your dog's in that show, isn't it? Yes, my dog is in that show. Yeah, right. So um, take on uh, pets also. Maybe maybe we should uh, remind people uh, your show's name is Ace Galaxy. Uh, How does it go? The Destiny of Special Agent Ace Galaxy. Right. The Destiny. I want to say Special Destiny of Special (laughs) Agent. But no. The Destiny of Special Agent Ace Galaxy. And it is a very, uh, it's an audio drama, six-part audio drama, a very Douglas um, (laughs) Adams-y, kind of goon show style, (laughs) uh, comedy, uh, bizarro humor. Um, some hilarious, hilarious uh, character voices. It's just bizarre. I, your mind is insane, and I love it. Um, <laughs> in any case, um, I knew you were going to love this book because it is so much, uh, you know, like it's not the caveman who has the saber-toothed tiger. It's the lady. <laughs> yeah. That's C-Max humor yeah. through and through. C-Max humor totally works, right? Mm-hmm. That was really cute, though, with with um, with her pet, you know, the Sylvester eating off the table and, and chasing everybody and being so bad. But he's but, you know, he's a good boy and he just wants to be friends. And then the dragon being the last pet from the previous universe. Right. I was right. like, so is he going to be what the biomech people are going to do then? Are they going to make dragons? And then is every are people going to have dragons, you know, flying into into their houses and stealing their jewelry? Oh, I'm so sorry. He was just playing. He's just my pet. Yep. He just wanted your gold. He just he's a dragon. <laughs> yeah, he's a dragon. It, this is literally the opposite of the the feeling you get when you're watching Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> and Game of Thrones, everything's loaded with menace and intrigue and wheels within wheels and plans within plans and you know uh, red weddings and <laughs> lady with dragons that can walk through fire and they might eat her but no they're not eating her today and and then you know here the dragon yeah it's just a pet <laughs> you know like if i thought maybe it was their god oh no it's just their pet it's just it's, it's just their pet light and um there's i mean there there's a there's one of the scenes i was re-listening to was when they're um arguing with the trolls about how to make uh, how the beer would be made or the ale would be made <laughs> the tr- the uh O'Toole the goblin says uh while he's being hung upside down from somebody's a uh, troll's hand i can't remember somebody's holding him upside down and the saber-toothed tiger sort of pawing at him um he's saying well we'll help you make the ale and he says you won't do it right you won't put in the bugs yeah <laughs> you won't let the bugs go in and he says we're gonna go out and get a big bucket of bugs and put them in no that's not how you do it you have to let them go in on their own <laughs> he's a beer snob mm-hmm. <laughs> he has special to make it just right that's special recipe where you have to neglect it but just the right amount <laughs> that's right <laughs> So, um, 
yeah, on reflection, I don't think it's a, a bad book at all. It's just it, you cannot be geared like I've been geared for so long. Uh, you know, we're going to analyze the crap out of this thing and we're going to enjoy it as appreciate it for how. No, there's no deeper appreciation other than uh, there's some really beautiful scenes like uh, the stuff with the banshee. I think that, that was really beautiful. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was. It's meant to tug at the heartstrings, but it doesn't force it. And yeah, it's just like, oh, that's a sad. There's only two left now. It's only two left. Plus, like, I didn't, I wasn't sure exactly what a banshee was. No, and so I looked it up. And, and female spirit from who heralds the death of a family member. And they're heralding the death of the previous universe. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. You get it. It's, it's, I do. When it's ridiculous, I understand it. <laughs> oh. This was the novel. This was the novel that got Kim Stanley Robinson into science fiction. Yeah, that's yeah. that one. That article said, and I, I think, I a lot of the reviews I read were, you know, this is I read this when I was twelve, and it, you know, it was really great. And then they go back and read it and they enjoy it again. Um, I didn't read this when I was twelve, so I. I I was thinking it's going to be city. It's going to be another novel like City, right? Where you have a whole bunch of poignant depth, um, beautiful pastoral scenes, and um, it has all that. It, well, it has the pastoral scenes. I mean, just him talking about what the Wisconsin countryside looks like in the fall, as opposed to when he left before he was, you know, duplicated in the duplicating Duplicate. process. Um, you know, he left in the early summer. Now he's back, and he's just imagining what the what the landscape's going to look like. And then we go wander through that landscape a bit, you know. And then it's it's it is beautiful. He's a he's really a talented writer when it comes to. I mean, it is it's so weird that there's a whole genre of science fiction called pastoral science fiction, and basically there's only one writer who wrote it. Hmm. Yeah, because it's hard to duplicate. I mean, you can ape it, but to actually make those evocations you have to be somebody who has a genuine appreciation and understanding for that sort of that sort of life and what how many rural science fiction i mean talking really rural science fiction writers do we have now there's none uh, the the thing is is kim stanley robinson did some of that right he he wrote uh pacific edge which is uh los angeles r- ruralized right set in the future right. where they're they're uh, destroying the roads in order to make more farmland and more, uh, you know, scrubland and trying to preserve the what wilderness is there to avoid also, development. Also, the other one where after the nuclear war, it's just the United States is just these little villages that she, that he wrote. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but even so, yeah, but he he's a Southern California guy at heart. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, some of his Mars stuff. I mean. Has that kind of frontier mentality, but otherwise, yeah, you don't find that much in science fiction and fantasy these days. That sort of Western, sort of house on the edge of the, you know, you get the, oh, okay, now you don't get the Garrison Keillor, Wake Lake Wobegon science fiction <laughs> anymore. No, or maybe even ever. Maybe maybe C-Mac just, is the only. Yeah, I think it's just C Mac because just C Mac. You know, like you were com- making a comparison with Bradbury and. You know, Bradbury is about the suburbs. You know, he's about mm. he's about the park. Yep. He's about uh, the backyard. 
He's not about the rural landscape. He's not about the farms, right? Mm-hmm. He. This is, uh, you know, Wizard of Oz is closer to uh, to C-Mag than pretty much anything else American. Right, and that's that early 20th century. What, what, I mean, I mean, as more and more the world becomes more urbanized, this sort of pastoral life is more and more alien to people. Mm-hmm. I, Lovecraft is more pastoral than than. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yes. Yeah. So some of the little villages and towns in in in, in his creepy New England. It's, it's I mean, got farms it's, out there in the in the valleys here and there, right? I mean, he, he is mostly a city guy, but. It is. It's strange to spend so much time in the country uh, in fiction. It's almost unheard of, in fact. Unless you are going full fantasy, in which case, you know, uh, it's it's walks between pubs or whatever. Oh, I guess Tolkien. We're forgetting Tolkien, right? We're, we're forgetting Tolkien, but I was thinking of set in our modern Earth. That's right. Rather, rather than. Rather than Hobbiton, Hobbiton is definitely that sort of pastoral fantasy. But I'm seeing set on this earth here and now. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not coming up. I'm, yeah, you get cities, you get suburbia, mm-hmm. but real rural science fiction it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You get fantasy, but but not really science fiction because how, what stories do you tell? Um, oh, okay, I, I just thought of another one. Um. Zena Henderson also wrote this sort of thing. Oh, did she? Yep, yep. Um, Maessa, have you read? No. Um, well, she wrote about a group of human-looking like aliens who wind up uh, coming down to Earth and living in a, some small enclaves in the American Southwest. And these these little communities, very rural, very insular, very cloistered. Um, some of that idea eventually became Escape to Witch Mountain. Mm. Oh. It, it, through the oh. yeah, through another, through yeah, very twisted and distorted, but yeah, that that they, the original ideas for that go back to uh, Henderson. Not, I don't think so, I've read anything by Zena Henderson at all. Oh, her so her so her story. Now I think her story is very much in that sort of Simac mold, and they're definitely yeah. They're def- I mean, they're psionics, but they're science fiction psionics, not fantasy psionics. So yeah, so I guess Simac and uh, Henderson are. Two peas in the pod that way, mm. and that, and they're the only peas that fit in that pod. Wow! It says she was a elementary school teacher, mm-hmm. and it says she taught in a semi-ghost mining town at Fort Hachuca uh, in in France and in Connecticut, as well as a Japanese internment camp during World War Two. <laughs> well, you're American citizens. Um, but you still have the right to go to school, even though you're in this concentration camp. That's, <laughs> no, that's America for you. Oh my God. I have no idea if her books are in audio. If they are, I, would I don't think, I don't think I've, that might've been one of the reasons I, I never seen. Yeah. If, if they are, I'd love to do a show on her well, work. I need to, I need to reread them at some point. That would be an ex- good excuse to, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a nest for volume of her stuff. Hmm. At the very least, was there? A, but yeah, you guys are way more versed in everything SF than I am. Uh, how how much how much precedent was there for a, a planet spaceship previous to this? Uh, it could be 
it's sort um, of space it, opera, so it could be yeah, really Doc Smith. Yeah, e, Doc, Doc Smith had stuff like that. Yeah, I, I couldn't read much Doc Smith myself. Um, you know what I liked is he was really enthusiastic, but um, the the way he you know they can whip together any sort of thing they need. Um, it's cool, but it's kind of uh, it's like it's it's like uh, the modern Doctor Who. You know, um, mm. uh, I guess the old Doctor Who did that too, where the techno babble uh, just takes over things. That's more Star Trek than Doctor Who in some ways. Well, uh, well, well, well yeah, we're going to reverse, but but then again, yeah, we're going to reverse the uh, the polarity, the neutron right, flow, exactly. and save the save the world again. Yeah, right. So yeah, so Doc Smith is very much like that, except even more pulpy. Even more purple prose overwritten in some ways. Yeah. It's that it's not so, really good, actually. That's the problem. It's interesting because it It's interesting, but not good. It's, I, yeah, it's 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 basically um they just in, finished inventing science fiction and then this guy who's a scientist says, Science <laughs> just sort of flies off into space <laughs> <laughs> and he's sciencing it all up over all over the place a lot of engineering stuff too as well but yeah like they're going to cut sh- spaceships in half and laser beams and telescope telescreens and force shields and, and, and tractor beams yeah. all yeah i mean he invented a lot of that stuff Ex- yeah acceleration d- dampeners right he, he basically is the engineering department on star trek really yeah, yeah. he yeah he yeah it, yeah, he's 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 Scott, he's Scotty on steroids. Yeah, he <laughs> totally is because he can do it, it's 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 near impossible, but then <laughs> then he figures out a way to do it. Mm. Well, there was so, Star yeah. Trek in uh, there. There was a Star Trek episode on this, right? William Riker had a, a transporter oh, yeah. accident, and there were two. Oh, that's steps. right. Good point. That's right. Ta- Thomas, Thomas Riker. Riker. Yes, that's right. He good, showed good up in that Spongy you know, Space. Uh, yeah, 1968 is when uh, Star Trek was running as well. So that transporter accidents thing. Uh, oh yeah, there was one in the original too, where you got the two Kirks. That's, that's right. right. The evil Kirk the evil and the good Kirk, Kirk. And the good Kirk. There's, there's the thoughtful Riker and the more thoughtful Riker. <laughs> no, it's the, the thought, no, it's the thoughtful Riker and the uh, asshole Riker. Oh, pardon my language, Riker. <laughs> was that was one of them an asshole? Thomas was, yeah. Thomas okay. became one, yeah. He oh, but but that's because he was sure. misunderstood or something, right? Um, well, yeah. Can't remember. Because the other one got all the glory. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I think the, there's a really funny, you know, there's a bunch of funny fake Twitter accounts. One of them is like uh, Star Trek season eight or uh, Next Generation season eight, where um, it just gives you the the what you would see in the TV guide, you know, on what the plot is. So you can determine when yeah. you've seen this episode before or not. Like um, Data data invents a, a, a pet that something and uh, Riker falls in love. <laughs> right? They have those sort of the, the A plot and the B plot uh, <laughs> in the description. And there's another one like that. Um, it's called Riker Googling. <laughs> oh yes, I've seen that. And that one's pretty funny. Every once in a while, somebody retweets it, and it's like um, uh, Klingon boobs. Are they ridged? <laughs> are Klingon boobs ridged or something like? They've got them quite horny. Uh, well, Riker would know. 
<laughs> but he's always yeah. asking in a, inappropriate questions of Google. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's apropos of nothing, but <laughs> I guess that's a good place to end the show. <laughs> right. You're Googling. Okay. <laughs> Unless you got something else. Nothing. Well, only other thing that I thought was, um, <clears throat> the trolls when, when the, um, when the, um, uh, wheelers were flying in the sky and and you know the only way to defeat them was the trolls mm-hmm. who were who were guarding the bridge and the trolls were from the previous space um and so like a bridge to the other world right mm-hmm. and there's that, that there's that as well yeah it's a symbolism here and there it's there, not deep it's not, not deep or anything but it, it's there yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I spun out. That's the that's the problem. I you spun out of the. I, I, I'm like, okay, there's something here, and that, no, okay. And so <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I went into you know how you get the wrong kind of tires for the wrong kind of track. I'm used to sort of uh, rough uh, mountain roads, and this is smooth sailing <laughs> through pastoral uh, Octobery Wisconsin countryside. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, yeah, and then it's just so easy to shoot them down. Like, okay, there, they're down. Yeah, it's now. Let's go it's drink. So amazing how much doesn't happen and how much does happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how can how can anybody? I mean, that's the thing is, I I seriously thought there's something wrong with the audiobook because it's it's finished. <laughs> it can't be finished. Nothing's happened yet. <laughs> And of yeah. course, lots had happened. It just it doesn't seem like anything. Else. Well, but the, the museum was wrecked, and he's lost his job, and the, the monolith- not upset about that no, either. Nobody's upset. He's lost his apartment. He doesn't exist. He only owns what he's wearing. Um, but it will all work out. Yeah, I mean, the deal can't go through now. Well, let's go have a look at the thing, anyways, right? Um, you know, we can't we can't get all the facts from the other universe, but yeah. It's, it all works out in the end. Yeah. Go down to the pub. Have a, dr- have a drink. Enjoy the fall colors. That's right. <laughs> this has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. <laughs>